sits on thrones. Throwback Black Friday. 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 Star House Business is Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and today is part three of the incredible journey into the mind of a former Mormon missionary, me, as we go through my dream log from 1991 when I was a missionary in Okayama, Japan. Now, I, I was listening to the two previous episodes the other day with my wife and she was hearing them for the first time and she said, what made you record a dream log? Why did you even do this in the first place? And, you know, I don't really remember. It was, what, 26, 27 years ago? I've lived longer since then than I did at the time I was doing it. But um, I, I remember I really, really wanted as a missionary to take full advantage of the gift of the Holy Ghost. I wanted the promptings of the Holy Ghost to be indistinguishable from my own thoughts and desires. You know, there was a time when I was in the missionary training center, the MTC, and I thought, I am just going to, from now on, any prompting that comes into my head, I'm going to follow it. I'm going to show the Lord that I am faithful and I'll do whatever thing I'm prompted to do. And I prayed very fervently and and made my commitment to the Lord as I was going to sleep one night and said amen, laid down in bed. And then I had this impression, get up. I thought, oh, wow, God's already testing me. Okay, all right. Am I actually going to do what I said that I wanted to do? Fine, I'll get up. So I got up. It's this dark room. There's three other missionaries in there. They're all in bed. The room, the lights are off. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm up. I'm standing up. Walk over to the door. All right. Okay. Um, I will walk over to the door. So I walked over to the door and I stood in front of the wall waiting for my next instructions and it never came. And I was probably there for like five minutes or so, just patiently, faithfully waiting. And I realized... Okay, I'm playing a trick on myself right now, aren't I? I'm a practical joker that even makes practical jokes at my own expense, and I think this is hilarious, don't I? Go back to bed. And so I went back to bed. But this was my mindset. This is this is how I was really, really trying to do the best that I knew how to take advantage of all of these supernatural promises of priesthood and being a, a faithful missionary and being like... Lehi and Nephi are examples from the Book of Mormon who the Lord would speak to through dreams. And we have entire chapters in the Book of Mormon dedicated to Lehi's dream. And then when Nephi has the same dream and the interpretation thereof. So I think that must have influenced my desire to keep track of my dreams and to see You know, I'll record them down. They'll be my own personal set of scriptures, which my patriarchal blessing told me the patriarchal blessing would be. So I'm trying to create these other documented 
scriptures of my life to see where can I see the influence of the Lord in my subconscious or speaking to me through dreams or however I would have thought about it at that point. So I think that's why I kept this dream log. Um, Hopefully, you know, 26, 27 years later, is it 28 years? No, because it was 91, 27 years later. This is just fun entertainment for you as listeners of Infants on Thrones. Um, And maybe you get something more out of it. There was a fantastic comment on the website last week from RJ. RJ, you rock, RJ. I loved what you wrote. And I'm going to to read that into this episode, but I'll do it as an extended Easter egg at the end of this episode. Doing a... I don't know if it was Freudian or Jungian, but some kind of a dream analysis on one of the dreams that I shared in last week's episode in, in the second installments of this dream log. So I'll be doing that at the end of this episode. But now, all right, here is my dream log. Can you hear it? Actual paper, actual pen. And this one, again, I'm, I'm reading this cold. I haven't prepared. I, I don't know what's in here. I don't know when the last time was. Some of these I probably haven't even read since I was a missionary. This is from July 3rd, 1991, and it says, First was a hajimete. Hajimete is a Japanese word that means, like, a first time. So this was a first. I dreamt that I was with Hasegawa, who was my second companion. And we went to this investigator's house. The investigator and Hasegawa were friends. I remember saying, Yosh, which means like cool or good, and acting like Arnold Schwarzenegger on his vitamin commercial. Oh, this was something that was so strange to me when I went to Japan that, you know, it was early 90s. This is kind of like uh, if, if those, those of you who were around then and have this kind of memory, you, you might remember Bruce Willis came to prominence through Moonlighting as David Addison. He was this really funny detective, screwball, comedy antic kind of thing. And then he made this transition to action movie star with movies like Die Hard um, and put him kind of on the same level as an Arnold Schwarzenegger as an action star, at least in my mind. So it was really strange when I got to Japan and I saw these posters of Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, tough guy, action hero, and also Bruce Willis, Bruce, Bruce Willis, tough guy, action hero, um, I, which I didn't quite accept because I always thought of him as a, as a comedian, but they were advertising these energy drinks and would have like their hair totally sprayed straight up and like a cl- clown almost. I'm like, wow, this is a different image of Schwarzenegger and Bruce Willis than I've ever seen. Anyway, uh, so that made it, that penetrated into my subconscious. So what does that mean, RJ? (laughs) The kid showed us his house. He had some very interesting pictures in his room. Uh, I didn't even eat any bananas. That must have been an inside joke that I don't remember now. Then I remember playing guitar with Brent Mason. I got pictures that moved from Graham McCann. Then there were a lot of people gathering around the temple waiting for the second coming. They were dressing the grounds and all of the area around them, they were dressing it in white. I remember my dad was there and he had a lot of money with him. I took a lot of it, but then I gave it back to him. 
<laughs> I think he's still waiting for that, by the way. Uh, I remember being chased by some thug or something. I was with someone else, and we saw an angel that told us to go to a certain bar or something, and that we shouldn't worry about the thug. I put grease on the thug's white Trans Am, <laughs> and he chased us to the bar in his car. It was a far distance away. My car was slow. I don't remember exactly what happened, just picture fragments. Then I was in an apartment complex, and Elder Manning left for a meeting, telling me that if Sydney came over, he wanted her to call him, even though I told him that she was married. Then I remember something about being in Japan and seeing a map of the islands and wanting to call Christine. This last part I remember best. My dad told me to go ahead and keep the money. And I was, yeah, I remember that part the best, apparently. Thanks, Dad. And I was sitting in my kitchen back home explaining Onada Shta to my family. I think, if I remember right, Onada Shta means I farted. I think Onada is a fart, and Shta means I did. So I think, I think Onada Shta means I farted. I was explaining that to my family. Then I awoke. And then I, I added a note, two more things. I cast the angel out because he had red hair, <laughs> but he said that he was not a devil, but that if I really wanted him to leave, he would. Um, somehow I was able to communicate with Christine through a fan. Okay, that's funny. Oh, that thing about the devil and the hair color. That's interesting. I, I don't know exactly where that came from and the red hair. My wife Krista has red hair. Maybe that's it. I don't know that she'll like that interpretation very much. Um, but, I, but I do remember I had a seminary teacher named uh, Searle who runs like a boys' correctional camp now, uh, I think. But he, um, he told us a story uh, that when he was a, a kid, he was spending the night over at a friend's house they were, they were 13, 14, you know, teenage adolescents, and they'd gotten a hold of a Playboy magazine. Now, a magazine is something that in the olden days before the internet <laughs> used to be paper and whatever. Uh, so a Playboy magazine, they were looking at nudie pictures. A nudie picture is a picture of someone without any clothes on. And... Uh, they knew that what they were doing was wrong, but it was kind of fun and exciting and whatever. They went to sleep that night, and he said that he woke up in the middle of the night, and he looked over at his friend, and instead of seeing his friend sleeping there, he saw an evil spirit, a demon, that was looking back at him, and that he knew that it was a demon because his friend had dark hair, but this demon had light hair, that it wasn't dark. And I don't know, I guess there's some kind of tradition somewhere in Mormonism, some folk belief, I'm guessing, that he was invoking that says that the color of the hair of an angel can tell you what type of angel it is. I don't know. Joseph Smith taught that if you saw an angel, you're supposed to ask to shake its hand as a way to detecting whether it's a good angel or a bad angel. Are you a good witch? Right, so uh, there could be something about hair color in there, but interesting that that was in my dream. Okay, here's the next one. 
This is the next day, July 4th, 1991. Again, I don't remember the sequence, but I was home and talking with Brent Mason about his mission. It was cool. My friend, my friend Brent went to uh, Japan, also a northern place. He went to Sendai, I think. But he, but he went in like four or five months after me. Anyway, for some reason, he had to go to the MTC two months late. I told him to give me his phone number when he got to Japan. I think he was late because of a diving class. Also, some lady was wishing or was washing the road out in front of her house. Whenever a car would drive by, she would quickly wipe up the tire prints. She had to clean up the road because she had been approached, or because she had approached Wendy Whitney and was thought to be a lesbian. (laughs) That makes perfect sense, right? I remember I was home and my mom had to do some kind of test to get me into BYU. And she wanted me to call one of the main guys there and talk to him about her. I didn't want to until I realized that I didn't have to speak to him in Japanese. Yeah, that was always a deterrent when I was in Japan to like have to try to talk to people in Japanese because it was hard and I wasn't that good at it. Um, Avoidance. Then I went to the basement. What does that mean, RJ? And listened to some Beatles music. Yeah. I also remember it being almost Christmas time and wanting to get a real tree instead of a fake one. I also remember playing with some form of football or three flies up with my little brother, and I hurt his feelings because I said that he couldn't catch a football. (laughs) Then I remember being at some party. I saw Stephanie Myers there. Is Stephanie Myers the name of the Twilight author? I think maybe, I don't know, it wasn't her. Um, And she gave me a hug. There was this dark room with a lighted booth in one corner. I went in there and I started doing Fernando's Hideaway. That was a Billy Crystal character that he would do on Saturday Night Live. You look marvelous. Anyway, yeah, I'm old. Kristen Patton was there sitting with me. I had a big crust on Kristen when I was a kid. I kept saying, you look marvelous. Then I remember seeing Seanette and talking with her about her family. While we were talking, there were times when she was a girl and times when she was a guy. It was weird. At least she wasn't a black-haired lesbian in this dream. (laughs) Okay. I also remember being at church or a chapel somewhere and having Robbie Dana tell me that Whitney Houston was going to be coming to church. Yeah, Whitney. Becoming a Mormon. All right, interesting, interesting entries uh, today. So, what I want to do um, with, with the end now is I want to go back to uh, a section from last week's entry. So I'll just insert it here, and then I'm going to read to you uh, RJ's very cool comment that he left on the website. The next, <laughs> the next part is gross, so I will make only subtle references. Ben's skin had crumbled all away. This is a penis euphemism. I don't know why I called it Ben. Ben's skin had crumbled all away, 
and I went to tell my dad, I think I remember this. Oh my gosh, that was... Don't want to have a dream about your penis crumbling away. Uh, and I went to tell my dad it was sad, and I was in a panic. Then I realized that everything was okay. Then I remember being in the van with my mom and dad. A snake came out of some trees and was on the top of the car. So I rolled up the windows. My dad drove the van into the garage and the garage door scraped the snake off the van and it was slithering on the ground. I kept yelling to my dad to kill it. Especially since it was so close to Jeff and Missy, my little brother and sister, outside, and Missy wanted to pet it. Oh, jeez. There's a lot of Freudian stuff going on in here. It's like, did I, was I feeling guilty about this dream that I had where I was kissing and doing other things with Christine, so I had to scrape the snake skin penis off the van? I don't know. Calling all Freudians. I kept yelling to my dad to kill it, especially since it was so close to Jeff and Missy outside. <laughs> my sister wanted to pet it. Uh, but my dad didn't kill it. Instead, it turned into a wild dog that turned out to be friendly. That's true. <laughs> we kept it as a pet. <laughs> yes, we did. Then I remember seeing a horse lying on some steps in front of our house. The horse told me he wanted to be our horse. <laughs> I want to be your horse. Uh, I found out later that he already had an owner, but when I asked him, the horse, about it, he wouldn't talk about it. <laughs> I got the impression that his old owner mistreated him or something. We, my father and brother and horse, we're all sitting around talking about the horse's old responsibilities compared to his new responsibilities. He was quite a capable horse. Then I woke up. All right, so RJH3 says, Hey, Glenn, with one N. I forgive you, RJH3. It's two N's, but, you know. Hey, Glenn, I happened to see this podcast and felt drawn to give it a listen. I've been studying a lot of depth psychology lately and am currently participating in psychoanalysis with a Jungian-trained therapist. There we go, Jungian, not Freudian. Which involves some dream analysis. Anyway, it's just a topic of interest for me lately, so a couple of thoughts. The phallic skin shedding and the snake on top of the car definitely seem like important archetypal elements. Skin shedding and snakes, because they shed their skin, are common symbols connected to periods of transformation. My mission was definitely a period of transformation for me, for sure. Uh, phallic symbols are not only sexual, but also have to do with one's own creative power in general. That there is this snake incident as you entered the garage door as a threshold is also a symbol of transformation. It's interesting that you describe the state of high anxiety about the snake after it falls off the hood of the car. Just after a snake sheds its skin, it is in a very vulnerable state, so will appear agitated and reactionary. This is a common dream motif, by the way. As a dream symbol, it is thought to be the subconscious mind warning of important dangers that surround times of transition. I want to come back to that. 
I'll finish RJ's comment, but this idea of the subconscious mind warning the conscious mind of something is a really interesting idea to me, so I want to talk about that in a minute. Back to RJ. Your father, at this point, seems likely to be a subconscious representation of you, and not your actual father, but instead the archetypal father. The way he acts seems positive in a psychological sense. He stops you from acting rashly in stopping you from killing the snake. He shows you how this situation is positive. See, it's really a nice dog. The dog is often connected to our more sensual animal nature. Your subconscious here seems to be encouraging you or your conscious self to make friends with all sides of yourself, including your more physical instincts, and to not demonize them. This is a positive impulse, which also seems to be confirmed by the sudden appearance of a magical horse. Magic horses are super archetypal, generally representing more healthy instincts of the whole self, opposed to the unbalanced or split psyche. Your subconscious, in the form of the magic horse, seems to be encouraging you toward psychological wholeness instead of your previous negative state. That your subconscious is telling you these things is an encouragement to take advantage of this period of transformation. Anyhow, just some thoughts. Haven't listened to the whole episode yet, by the way. Best, RJ. All right, first of all, RJ, do this for every single one of these episodes, man. (laughs) Or woman, if you're a woman. I, I loved this. This is so interesting. To, to hear and to think about and to go, yeah, my mission was definitely a time of transformation for me. It, it, was a, it was a time when I started seeing cracks in the culture, cracks in myself, things that um, I just really, I, I could see that I was, you know, like there were, there were parts of my personality, for example, I really, really wanted to become... AP, assistant to the president. This is like the highest level of authority um, that you can have and recognition that you can have uh, as a missionary. You know, it goes from being a junior companion uh, to being a senior companion to being a district leader where you're in charge of a small group of missionaries to being a zone leader where you're in charge of district leaders and, uh, you know, those missionaries, and then eventually being uh, an AP. So this this hierarchy in the mission, and I really, really wanted to be AP. And I felt at times that if I didn't achieve at least a respectable rank or office in this hierarchy, that my mission would somehow be a failure. Um, I never made it past district leader and I think this was part of part of my struggle in a couple of different ways where it was a, a transformative time for me that I kind of recognized this drive in myself. And when I would compare it to others that I would see, like I, I saw this one missionary that just seemed really cutthroat um, in his quest to fulfill his ambitions in these areas. You know, he was riding his bike with his companion, his junior companion, who was a greenie, uh, to go meet the mission president once. And the greenie had an accident on his bike and he scraped up his knee really, really bad. And rather than stopping and attending to his injured companion, this guy 
just left him behind, left him in the dust uh, so that he could get to the mission president and not be late because he wanted the mission president to make him from zone leader, which he was, to AP eventually, which he actually got for a couple of months. Um, This, by the way, is the missionary that I talked about in a recent episode that told me it's incredible that you're able to have both spirits with you at the same time. Elder Williams. Troy Williams. Now, I don't think it's the Troy Williams that is so uh, vocal in the LGBTQ community in LDS. I I don't think it is. Um, I I don't think so. If, If it is, I'd like to talk to him, and we're probably more aligned now than we would have been back then, but... Man, I hated that guy. Anyway, so I, I, I would see people like this, and, and there were other people like that that were driven by ambition in the mission, and I went, no, I don't want to be like that. So I think that's one area of transition for me where I would recognize things in the culture. There were, there were other times where people were just like using the stories of Mormonism to further their own personal agenda, and that started becoming really obvious to me. And I... You know, I've been podcasting for almost 10 years. I'm sure that these stories that I'm telling I've told before, and maybe you've heard them before, maybe you haven't. But there was there was one towards the end of my mission where we, um, I probably had about six months left, but it, it was towards the end of my mission. And uh, one of these really ambitious missionaries that had been AP, and then he's he was put out to pasture is what we called it where a former ap would have the last month or two of their mission to go back out into the field and just really kick ass man just really clean house with their advanced righteousness and so he came in as our district leader and he was just going to turn things around in this area in the two months that he had left and We sat down in a a meeting with our district. There were six missionaries, two sisters, four elders. He was one of the elders. And he showed us a video. I think it's called Blessings from Heaven or Pennies from Heaven or something like that. It's the story of President Lorenzo Snow when there was the famine in Utah or drought or something like that. I think it's the seagull story um, where... People were just um, in in a bad position because of the drought. And President Snow said, you guys are not paying your tithing. This is why the Lord is punishing you. If you will but pay your tithing, the Lord will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you. And so they started paying tithing. And then in this drought condition where all of the crickets were eating up the the food that was being grown a bunch of seagulls flew in and devoured all the crickets and they were you know like flying up in the air and regurgitating the chicken or the the cricket guts (laughs) it tastes like chicken that's why i said that and uh um yeah anyway so he showed us this this video that's just a huge urban legend in mormonism anyway uh and then said look you guys see um People thought it was impossible to accomplish this task of getting rid of the crickets and escaping the drought. But once they started following what a prophet was telling them to do, the windows of heaven opened up and blessings poured out upon them. Elders and sisters, in the next two months, we are going to see so many freaking blessings poured out upon us from the Lord that it's going to make your head spin. They probably didn't say it in that exact way. But that was his message. And he said, we have uh, between the the six of us 
Each one of us is going to get two baptisms in the next two months because, you know, just do the math. Six times two is 12, and we've got two months, and then 12 is the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. It all lines up. The numbers are just right there in front of us, brothers and sisters. We just need to go out and make it happen. So then he went around the table, and he started, uh, Sister Tune, do you believe that we will have 12 baptisms in the next two months? Yes, Elder Witt, I believe. Sister Thompson, do you believe? Yes, I believe. Elder Phillips, do you believe? Yes. Elder Oslin, do you believe? No? Oh, Brother Oslin. No, I don't. This is, I mean, come on. We, but between the six of us, we have two active investigators right now. And you think that we're going to find enough people and then just baptize them and have this miracle thing? I, no, I'm sorry. That's not realistic. I don't see it happening. Oh, Elder Oslin then you will be the reason that we fail. I'm like, okay, whatever, fine. I'll take it for all of you. Put it on me. That's, that's fine. But this, you know, so this time of my mission was definitely a transition. It was definitely a transitory, a, tr- a transformatory time for me in the way that I viewed my relationship with the Mormon church and Mormon culture. And, um, you know, so, so here we've got this idea that, that R.J., talks about, that my subconscious is trying to communicate to my conscious. Now, there was a time, not too far in the distant past, actually, that I would have interpreted something like that in a very woo-woo kind of way, that I would have thought, oh, this is magic that you're talking about, or that there's some kind of spirit that's trying to communicate to me, or whatever. I don't know if you relate to that at all, uh, but I look back on it now, and I think, wow, that was totally missing the point. Um, and I think is, is a result of the way that I was raised to view things in this kind of dualistic spiritual versus material way and thinking that whatever consciousness, whatever I'm aware of, that's the material world, whatever I'm not aware of, whatever subconscious, that's the spiritual world. I think that's the way I kind of mapped out my reality. But what I've come to understand in the last year or two with more clarity, and, I, and I'm still working all of this out. So don't take what I'm saying right now as anything definitive in the way that I view the world or that I think that this is how things actually are. I'm still working this out. But what I hear when I read what RJ put is that this subconscious part of me is my, like all of the experiences that I've ever had that my brain records it stores, <laughs> you know, every, every sound, every sight, every smell, every thought, all of this stuff, it's in there somewhere, somehow. Um, and that my, and, and probably not only that, but also genetic type of instincts that I've inherited through my biology from my ancestors. And that, that, and I don't mean to suggest that in any kind of a, a woo way. <laughs> that's, a, that's a term in Taoism, Wu Wei. I don't mean it in any kind of Wu type of, of way, just that there's certain instincts, certain behaviors that come as genetic proclivities, I think. And, and all of this stuff together, I think, is the subconscious that, that you know, in a, in a Jonathan Haidt kind of way, where, where you've got the elephant that is the emotional response to things, and then the writer that tries to give a post hoc explanation and understanding as to why the elephant is responding to things the way that it is. 
I think the rider is our consciousness, is that um, awareness that is this very, very narrow band of who and what we actually are. And then the, that subconscious is, you know, is what's feeding the elephant, right? So the emotions, the feelings um, that are coming out of a conclusion that our subconscious has that maybe our conscious doesn't quite know. So that dreams can be a way of better understanding the way that we view the world, things that are important to us that don't always manifest in our everyday consciousness. And I don't see that as any kind of a supernatural woo-woo kind of thing like I, I may used to have. So anyway, these are really interesting ideas that I've been feasting upon lately, trying to learn more about. And I think they definitely have application uh, to somebody who what is it that, that we said about Infants on Thrones from the very, very start? Um, I'm going to our website. I'm looking on the About tab. Infants on Thrones is an entertaining podcast about self-awareness and discovery. First sentence. The title is an homage to the Mormon founder, Joseph Smith, who said in his lesser-known King Follett discourse that, quote, Eternity is full of thrones upon which dwell thousands of children, reigning on thrones of glory, with not one cubit added to their structure, end quote. It's a funny image, but it also suggests that we, as amateur podcasters, do not really have all the answers we may think we do. We can't take ourselves too seriously. We are also infants on thrones. I think sometimes this purpose of this podcast <laughs> gets lost because um, we don't really reiterate it that much. But I hope when you look back at the six years and 500 plus episodes that we've done, you see, oh, yeah, yeah, this is this is this is uh, an entertaining podcast, I hope, first and foremost. And then it is about self-awareness and discovery. And sometimes that takes us deep into smackdowns of Mormon culture and other things, but then it takes us out into things like Jonathan Haidt and Sapiens and, and you know, other things that we explore. It's all connected. And um, anyway, <laughs> so this is uh, episode three of the Dreamlog series. Again, thank you so much for your comment, RJ, your contribution. If there are others out there who are listening to this that have thoughts and comments and want to share and contribute to this process of self-awareness and discovery, I wholeheartedly welcome and encourage that. So thank you again for listening to Infants on Thrones. And until next week, I don't know, until next week, yeah. dream lock. Yeah, running down a dream that never would come to me. Hi, this is Brian from Novi, Michigan, and I am yet another returned missionary from Japan who has left the church. Konnichiwa, Guren Senpai! You can comment on this episode on the website, infinitesonthrones.com, and if you really like what you hear, give the form a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. And hey, while you're at it, why not come support us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode capped at whatever your max monthly budget is, you can support this podcast and ensure that it keeps going strong. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone for the closing prayer? Yeah, I'm running down the train. It never would come to me. Working on a mystery.
Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Infants on Thrones.